thank you to so many of you uh, for coming this evening. Uh, obviously, something happened in Greece on January the 25th, and that has attracted you this evening, and we're here to try to decide exactly what happened and what the implications are for Greece and, indeed, what the implications are for the Eurozone. Now, domestically, of course, within Greece, the elections were seen as a huge uh, protest against uh, austerity. Uh, but at the same time, we're told that opinion polls continue to show that a majority of Greeks wish to remain in the Eurozone. So there's questions in terms of what's going on in terms of the electorate, uh, who the electorate are uh, voting for and why, expectations uh, in terms of uh, political parties, uh, a rebalancing or a restructuring of the party system uh, to discuss. And, of course, at the European level, there are perhaps even bigger questions of uh, a game of poker, as it were, already being underway, and what might stem from that. Can a deal be done between Greece and the Eurozone? Uh, what is the risk of no deal and of Greece exiting the Eurozone? Is that uh, feasible? Uh, and we are meeting, of course, after a sequence of events in recent days. Yesterday's announcement, announcement by the European Central Bank. Today's um, meeting between Wolfgang Schäuble and uh, Yanis Varoufakis. Uh, they didn't exactly hit it off. Um, so clearly it adds to the sense of drama and the uh, immediacy. And this evening we have uh, a set of three speakers to guide us through this um, discussion. We will, as is usual at the LSE, have a sequence of presentations and then allow plenty of time uh, for your uh, questions and comments uh, afterwards. So please uh, do be assured that there will be plenty of time for you to contribute to the discussion as well. But let, let me introduce our speakers. Dionysis Dimitrikopoulos will uh, speak first. Dionysis is a senior lecturer in politics in the School of Politics and Sociology at Birkbeck. He's published widely on various aspects of the politics of European integration, and he's held fellowships at Oxford, and more importantly, he's held a fellowship here at the LSE. Uh, Daphne Halikiopoulou is lecturer in comparative politics at the University of Reading, and she specialises in matters of nationalism and of party competition in Europe. Uh, as she just reminded me, she received her PhD uh, some years ago from the LSE, and uh, she is currently working on a project, a research project, uh, supported by the Hellenic Observatory here at the LSE, uh, examining the extreme right Golden Dawn and its impact on the dynamics of party competition uh, in Greece. Our final speaker will be Professor Dimitris Vayanos, who is a professor of finance here at the LSE. He heads the Department of Finance, and he directs the Paul Woolley Centre for the study of capital market dysfunctionality. It seems to be vaguely relevant to our discussion uh, here this <laughs> evening uh, in terms of um, this poker game that we've been discussing. Dimitris uh, was educated in Paris and MIT. He's been a faculty member at Stanford 
and also at the MIT. He focuses, as I say, on financial markets, and we're hoping he will be able to uh, explain to us what the hell is going on. <laughs> so we have uh, three speakers, and we'll have a discussion afterwards, and uh, each speaker has agreed to speak for about ten minutes or so. Uh, so without further ado, Dionysus. Okay. Uh, thanks very much for the invitation. It's always nice to take the walk from Bloomsbury down to Aldwych and come to the LSE. Um, I must say that when I started preparing for this event, uh, and given that I'm not a fortune teller, I found it a bit hard because, as you know, things are in flux, uh, both in Greece and in the Eurozone more broadly. After all, uh, the new Greek government has not even uh, uh, presented its actual program. Uh, this will happen over the weekend. So I opted for the rather safer uh, route, which is to uh, distinguish between reasons to be optimistic and reasons to be pessimistic. Uh, and I will focus on primarily on the electoral result, the composition of the new government, and the first indications that we have as to what it is that they are trying to do and the implications of these things for uh, uh, the Eurozone and the EU more broadly. Uh, although I'm not the one to, to praise the Greek electorate, uh, I think there is a lot of wisdom in the result of last, uh, the last election. I guess the first and clearest uh, message is the rejection of austerity, uh, at least, uh, since at least four of the seven parties that are represented in Parliament, uh, albeit for different reasons and with different proposals, reject that uh, basic uh, uh, policy idea. Secondly, while Syriza is the, a clear winner, and this was a change election, it is also clear that it came close to an absolute majority in Parliament because of the electoral system. Read uh, differently, I think what is important to note is that Greeks have again opted for a coalition government. As far as I'm concerned, this is a, a healthy um, uh, outcome, not least because it pushes the country a little bit away from the era of messiahs, uh, and we've had a lot of messiahs in Greece, as you know, the consequences that you all know. Seen from, from the perspective of populism, one can say this is a victory for populism, given the, at least the smaller of the two parties in government. Um, but it is fair to say that Anaxarchidae uh, uh, Hellenes uh, and Syriza are not the only populist parties in Greece. They are not the only populist parties in Europe, and there's quite a lot of populism in a lot of other countries, including... Uh, Germany. So I don't think we should start uh, throwing stones in a house that is built on, uh, made of, um, of glass. Syriza's victory is not down to a strategic decision to please particular segments of the population. In fact, a survey conducted by Kappa Research recently indicates that support for Syriza is quite broad, uh, beating uh, Nea Demokratia, the main center-right party, uh, in all age groups except over uh, 65s, all categories of occupations except entrepreneurs and pensioners, all levels of education, and amongst both men and women. My fifth point is that uh, the Golden Dawn is here to stay. Uh, those who did not know what it was about in 2012 or could say that they did not know what it was about can no longer use this dubious excuse after the murder of Pavlos Fisas. The bottom line is that some Greeks are fascists, and the result, uh, and the rest of us, should not turn a blind eye. 
Um, moving on to uh, the main now ruling party, if they mean it, and I'm not referring to Syriza's populists, because there are a lot of them, I'm referring to more respectable figures like Dragasakis, for example, this is an opportunity for Greece to reform itself uh, and become what Dragasakis says, uh, calls a normal European state. To the extent that cabinet-level appointments can be a cause for optimism, I think that both Nikos Paraskevopoulos and uh, Panagiotis Nikolaidis, the latter reporting directly to the Prime Minister, are the kind of appointee who signals uh, that Tsipras means business in terms of the reform of the ailing justice system as well as um, the fight against corruption. Uh, and if they don't do it, I don't know who will. Along the same lines, I, I would argue that the new government includes uh, a rather good, uh, in terms of expertise, uh, economic team. Uh, I would say the best team since 1974 with Varoufakis, Stathakis, Tsakalotos and Ragasakis. But whether expertise is matched by competence, which is a different issue, remains to be seen. On the other hand, the new ministers of foreign affairs and defense, Kodzias and Kamenos, are causes for concern due to their uh, nationalist views that they hold and at least the former's uh, reported wish to approach not Russia in general, but Putin's Russia specifically. I can come back to that if there is a question about it. And this is important for a country that needs alliances within the Eurozone and the EU. To the extent that the reform of the public sector remains a big challenge, another reason for optimism lies in the fact that they have declared their determination to rely more on the Greek civil service as opposed to uh, political appointees. Whether they will do it or not remains to be seen. Another important point which is worth highlighting uh, has to do with the fact that the neoliberally minded version of social democracy as we saw it in Greece uh, is dead and buried uh, as it is to a certain extent in the UK and Germany. Whether Syriza will keep reforming itself and thus become a proper old-fashioned social democratic party, and whether this evolution will be matched by a similar evolution on the, on the centre-right remains to be seen. Uh, this uh, reform of Syriza is likely to be difficult uh, because of the prevailing culture of opposition in large segments of the party, um, uh, and whether they will manage to transform, tra transform themselves into a, a a reform-minded uh, party as opposed to being a party of opposition remains to be seen. More broadly, as regards the Eurozone and the EU, the implications of this election may be very significant indeed. As Pierre Moscovici noted earlier today, governments need room for manoeuvre after elections. Otherwise, what is the point uh, in, having, uh, in voting in the EU? It is important to note that the current German government's, the current German government's uh, uh, stance if it is not a negotiating stance, if it, is a, if it is a substantive preference, goes totally against the prevailing trend in the development of the European Union. Uh, in particular, the increasing parliamentarization of the European Union, which personally, as a citizen, uh, I welcome. But that parliamentarization was never meant to be uh, uh, to go against uh, the operation of parliamentary democracy at the national level. But the way things go, it seems to me that there is a risk of killing both. Even if one, if one forgets uh, the fact that France and Germany broke the rules in the mid notice and had them revised without diluting their essence, if the rules ought to prevail, um, if the rules ought to, ought to prevail come what may, 
What is the point of holding democratic elections at either the national or the European level if the only voters who can make a difference are the German voters because they are, they are the only ones who can uh, remove Mrs. Merkel from power? More importantly, on a personal uh, uh, level, as someone who has been studying the process of European integration for a couple of decades, I'm struck by another key departure that appears to be taking place. In the past, the European institutions and the leaders of the larger member states dealt with awkward partners in a very accommodating way. This means that though the final compromise was always closer to the wishes of the majority and the centre, it was never reached in a way that was explicitly designed to humiliate, let alone eject, someone from the communities. And here I'm drawing on the specific examples of the way in which Mrs. Thatcher's uh, check, in inverted commas, was handled, and the handling of the first PASOK governments in the early 80s. Rather, an effort was always made to integrate and assimilate, but never to punish. It appears that this is no longer the case. I hope I'm wrong, and I do hope that Jean-Claude Juncker uh, will play a constructive role in, that, uh, in this direction. But if I'm right, this development is also almost certainly the result of the fact that Europe is facing a, a leadership crisis, which is very, very big. It is run by people who, unlike their predecessors, especially in Germany, do not see it as part of their duties to contribute positively to the process of building and improving the European Union as no lesser a figure than Helmut Schmidt himself uh, has rightly pointed out in his relentless and opposite critique of Mrs. Merkel's European policy. Uh, Syriza is also the first party to win a democratic election inside the Eurozone on the basis of a platform that explicitly challenges the prevailing obsession with austerity. In doing so, it has every right to draw attention to the fact um, that to the extent that it has been implemented, the program currently in place has not reduced the, the debt burden. The debt burden has actually gone up. That is a fact. The trouble is that if those who support the current program in Berlin, Frankfurt and elsewhere appear to give concessions, they know very well that political change in Spain and in other countries possibly is likely to follow in a way that will deal an even bigger blow to austerity in a country that has a much bigger economy, Spain in particular, and a much smaller debt than Greece. That is something uh, they want to avoid and it is also the single biggest obstacle in the current government's efforts. What makes things more complicated for the supporters of austerity is that Syriza is not only the first party of the radical left to win a democratic election on an anti-austerity uh, platform inside the Eurozone, but also the first one to explicitly commit to primary uh, balanced budgets. This makes Syriza a far more difficult opponent to deal with, especially if they are given the time to show whether they are serious about the kind of structural reform that the country undoubtedly needs. And by structural reform, I do not mean trying to compete with Bangladesh on wages and low uh, labor standards, but dramatically improving tax collection, radically reforming the justice and tax systems, fighting corruption, taking on the vested in interests that keep the cost of public procurement artificially high, dealing with the negative consequences of things like transfer uh, pricing abuses, and so on. In short, while Syriza's moderate message I'm talking about the main message on uh, the economy, Are for me, uh, is for me a source of optimism. The main reason why I'm not optimistic is that those who hold the levers of power know that if Syriza is allowed, and the government in Greece now, is allowed to have its way, or at least part of its way, what is really at stake is the viability of the TINA doctrine. There is no alternative. Thank you. Thank you very much.
death me. Indeed. I have some things to show you, so I will stand. What's that? Um... Again, thank you to Kevin for inviting me here. Um, as the events are unfolding, I'm sure you're all interested. Everyone keeps asking me, is Greece going to exit the euro? I don't know. I am not a fortune teller either. I'm a political scientist, so what I want to do today is just give you a political analysis of what has happened in Greece. So I briefly have divided my short presentation in terms of A, placing the electoral result within um, the context, the context within which the election took place, briefly show you the results, and then I have divided the rest of the presentation in terms of four key themes uh, in terms of politics that I think are very important um, um, regarding the Greek election. So I will discuss the resilience of the far right, and here I mean especially the Greek Golden Dawn and how well it did. Uh, secondly, I want to focus on the party system, this question of um, are we following this trend of the fragmentation of the party system or are we really witnessing the emergence of a new PASOK with a different name? Then I will talk briefly a bit about the middle class, the basis of Syriza and the importance of the middle class for the future of democracy, which is really the, the, main, um, the main theme of this uh, debate today. And then I will conclude with the new government and the prospects for stability um, paving way to the economics presentation right after me. So I've got some data here for you, just briefly, as I said, I'm not an economist, I'm a political scientist, yet I think it's important to understand the context within which the election took place. This shows you, this is um, from the OECD data, it shows you Greece's debt. Greece's debt is massive. This is the, the context within which the election took place. And um, following the huge economic malaise that Greece has been undergoing. This is from 2014, so recent data, I believe, are a little bit different, but it shows you the levels of unemployment. Greece has the highest rates of unemployment across the European Union. Also data I don't have here today for you, but um, on the youth unemployment, it's almost 60%, again, the highest among all the European countries. So this election took place within a broader significant economic problem. But what is more interesting for me as a political scientist is the institutional implications of this. So this is data from uh, World Bank Good Governance Indicators. Now what I find very interesting is that the economic crisis in Greece and perhaps to a different extent than other European countries that are facing economic problems such as Spain, Portugal and Ireland had a serious problem in terms of good governance uh, perception. So these are perceptions. The data here is just comparative um, in Greece from 2003 to 2013 but I also have access to that data comparatively across the other um, European countries that are facing economic problems. We see here that the problem was fundamentally political. The economic crisis translated in Greece into a massive crisis 
crisis of politics, a massive crisis of institutions, and a massive crisis of democracy to an extent that it didn't in other European countries. People simply didn't believe that the government could provide stability. People simply didn't believe that the government would be effective in dealing with the economic problem. So it's not simply how big is the economic issue, what's more important is how, to what extent do people think that the government is able to solve, to offer viable solutions to these economic problems. So regulatory quality, the same rule of law, control of corruption. So there, is, there was a, a fundamental political problem there. Essentially, th the people questioned state capacity and the ability of the state to deliver on the social contract that it is bound to. So within this context of fundamental so, so fundamental economic crisis, fundamental political crisis, fundamental crisis of democracy and austerity, this is the perhaps unsurprising result that we got on the 25th of January. I know a lot of you are Greek, but some of you may, may not be, so I'm just showing the result here briefly. What do we see from this? So Syriza, the coalition of the radical left, will know, came first, just just under getting a strong majority government, got 149 seats. The centre-right New Democracy that was the ruling party before um, got 27.8. The Golden Dawn, the extreme-right anti-immigrant Golden Dawn, came third. And this table also shows us that the centre-ground, interestingly, in Greece, is not doing very well. So the River, for example, which is a sort of new centre, socially liberal party, came fourth just after the Golden Dawn. And... The independent Greeks, which are in the coalition government at the moment, got 4.8%. So these are, um, in a way, very interesting results. They're also possibly unsurprising w within the context that this election happened. Now, why is this important? What I've done here, so my first point is, and this is perhaps less talked about, everyone is obviously focusing on the question of Brexit, the radical left being in government in Europe, anti-austerity. But one thing that people are less talking about is, well, what about the extreme right anti-immigrant Golden Dawn whose leading members are currently in prison pending indictment? Only yesterday um, the, rule, the, the, the courts ruled that indeed the Golden Dawn will be indicted for... Um, murder, grievous bodily harm, and various other um, horrendous crimes. I've, I've, what I've done here is I've jotted, just for your information, the Gold, Golden Dawn's performance from 1994 to 2015, including both parliamentary and European elections. You see that this party was absolutely marginalised. It started off as sort of a bulletin that became a grassroots movement that was really in the fringes of the system, mainly functioning as a violent organisation. Yet in 2012, it got 6.97% of the vote with um, 21 seats. In June, it got 18 seats, just a bit less. And now, after all the indictments, after all the violence that has been exposed in the media, still this party managed to come third with 6.28%. This is fundamental for the future of Greek democracy, not only because it shows um, that perhaps there is a political culture there that endorses certain nationalist ideas that, that needs to be accommodated, um, especially in the context of how, how can this party not decline given its violence, given its anti um, 
anti-systemic and, 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 and anti-illegal um, activities. So this is quite a significant result in itself. Uh, obviously, the, even constitutionally, the question was, um, if the first party isn't able to form a government, the, the mandate goes to the second party. If not, it goes to the third party. That was the golden dawn. What if the golden dawn had give, been given the mandate to form a government? This is a significant result for, the, um, for Greek democracy. But if we move away from the fringes of the party system, let's move a little bit to the mainstream. So another theme that's been um, very prominent in discussions about the Greek election is what has been happening to the classic, the, the classic Greek two-party system. Since 1974, the fall of the, um, the junta regime, Greece has been dominated, as you all know, by two mainstream political parties, New Democracy here represented in blue and PASOK here represented in green. A classic two-party system where these two parties alternate in power, right? So are we really witnessing the fragmentation of the two-party system? Here I've got what you, I've just added Syriza, so you can see that the massive, the dramatic decline, especially of PASOK, the implosion of PASOK, the centre-left party, um, and the decline of new democracy has been accompanied by a dramatic rise of the radical left Syriza. And um, as I said, so again, the, 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 the main idea at the moment in commentary seems to be that a two-party system has become replaced by a multi-party system where parties of the fringes, small parties, populist parties, radical parties, are able to replace it. And I wonder, however, if this is really um, a fragmentation of the party system, or what we are witnessing is the displacement of PASOK by Syriza. So perhaps the electoral results of the 25th of January are actually indicating that the two-party system is slowly returning with Syriza taking the place of... Um, of, of PASOK, and let's not forget that in 1981 PASOK also got elected with, I don't want to say similar, but also a sort of a radical anti-Western agenda that emphasised social democratic ideals. So, you know, the question, and, and, and look at how moderate they are now. So is Syriza really on the fringes, or does it, is it a party of, of radical opposition, as it was in 2012 when it first entered the political scene as a contender, or is it becoming a party of power with whatever that may mean for the mainstream? And some data here for you to back this idea. This is data from Kappa Research that um, Eunice has also mentioned on the latest Greek election. This table shows you the percentage, it basically is electoral volatility, so it shows you the percentage of voters from each of the other parties that moved to Syriza in, um, in January 2015. So you can see, obviously, right, Dimar is the leftist uh, party that was in, in, um, in the coalition. You've got PASOK, centre-left, and you've got the Communist Party of Greece, which is um, communist. So obviously you would expect that a lot of these, that a lot of voters um, are likely, of these parties are likely to move to Syriza for ideological reasons. But this table also indicates that Syriza was able to aggregate interests to aggregate voters from many other parties that are ideologically dissimilar. So it got large percentages of voters from independent Greeks, ANEL. It got large percentages of voters from New Democracy, Laos, the other far-right party, and even the Golden Dawn. This, to me, shows that there is an aggregation of interests. Syriza, like a mainstream party of power, has managed to aggregate interests to get a lot of voters from across the political spectrum 
speaking to the fact that it may be becoming a moderate party, uh, a more mainstream party that is able to aggregate interest. But this brings me to my key point, which is a little um, sort of theory that I'm working on at the moment. If we want to see whether a party is becoming more moderate or mainstream, it's not only enough to look at the party itself. Obviously, it's, we need to also look at the party's electoral base. So what I've done here, again, this is data from both Kappa Research and Metron Analysis that came out um, that came out um, w with the exit poll, really, and it shows you the occupational base, basically the, the, um, where cities as voters, what type of employment they are engaged in. And as you can see, perhaps unsurprisingly, Syriza was able to get a, a large percentage of unemployed voters. We expected that. Syriza was also able to get uh, a large percentage of public sector uh, voters. However, it also managed to get a large percentage of private sector voters. This tells me that the reason that Syriza fundamentally was able to win is because it attracted the middle class. It attracted the middle class that with austerity, and this is the main issue with austerity in Greece, the, it's not about the haves and the have-nots. It's about those in between that, as we know from political science, are fundamental for A, sustaining economic growth, and B, for promoting and facilitating democracy. So for me, the key is precisely this middle class, the comfortable pensioners that lost their pensions, the small shop owners that had to close their shops, the homeowners whose salaries did not reflect um, their, the, the value of their homes and therefore some lost their homes or some were not able to pay the huge property taxes. All these middle class voters who became essentially impoverished and voted for a party with a more radical agenda. So for me the key is to what extent is Syriza... So this is a sort of a Huntington's King's dilemma um, issue. By, will Syriza be able to maintain its radical left um, ideology, but at the same time appeal to the middle class? Because the middle class is, A, the one that is going to keep Syriza in power, and B, the one that is going to maintain democratic stability and economic growth in the country. So just to conclude, obviously, so, so this question of stability stemming from this is, 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 is also um, Syriza's choice to form a coalition government with the far-right independent Greeks. And I will call this party far-right because I, you know, they are very staunch on immigration and they, they do have far-right-wing ideas. So, so given all this that I've talked about, keep, keeping all this that I've talked about in mind, what we saw is, is not a coalition with a moderate party, what we saw is a coalition with the radical right. What unites these parties is their anti-austerity stance, right? So, so Tsipras chose to not make that decision in terms of the left-right divide. He chose to make that decision purely in terms of bailout, anti-bailout. So whereas these parties may be divided fundamentally in terms of issues of immigration or certain issues of religion, um, church and separation of church and state and other social issues, they are united in terms of their anti-bailout agenda. And I wonder to what extent we may see this as even beyond the left-right divide as a simple strategic move to appeal to that, precisely that, that, that middle ground in Greece that have very strong anti-austerity ideas because they have suffered and at the same time do share these nationalistic ideas which is part of the mainstream Greek political culture. 
So keeping all these issues in mind, I think what is happening here is, A, clearly, Syriza is facing the dilemmas of a party in office rather than a party in the fringes of the opposition, and this is what is going to dictate the party's policy. We have, at the same time, the party is being now pulled as a party in power. Can it do what it, was, what it said that it would do? It is pulled by domestic powers, meaning, you know, will, will they renegotiate? People want to get out of austerity. But now it's pulled by EU powers as well. And we saw today a very staunch EU that is it's not going to, a very staunch Germany, that is not going to very easily budge to Syriza's request. And given all, all, all this friction, can the government retain stability? And of course, what we are all interested in, can the government keep Greece in the Eurozone, which is, uh, I hope, something that we will discuss a bit further. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, so sorry. All right, so, a, um, so thanks very much, first of all, to... Um, uh, Kevin, for uh, inviting me to participate to, uh, to this event. So um, I'm the economist of the lot here, so I will uh, focus on the economic side of things. And uh, I, will I will try to provide kind of a general framework for th that I used to thinking about the issues, and I, I guess we can talk dur during the discussion. I'm sure that the, more recent, the very recent developments will come up. So... Um, all right, so I've talked about austerity, about the bailout, the bailout plan... So let me give you my take on it. So, okay, there were successes and failures. So the, um, okay, let's start with the successes. So first of all, and who should not uh, kind of forget about this, Greece managed to remain in, remain in the Eurozone. Its banking system was completely, which was completely insolvent, every single bank was insolvent, was recapitalized. So there were some kind of pitfalls, but it man, kind of, there was, the banks were recapitalized in the end and, uh, and are functioning. So then there was an elimination, or let's say near elimination, of the twin deficits, this uh, infamous twin deficit. So the budget deficit of the, the deficit of the government was 10.5% of GDP. It was a huge um, uh, level, just the primary deficit, net of interest payments. In 2009 and in 2013, Greece had a primary surplus of small one, 0.8%, which is due to, projected to increase. The trade deficit, so exports um, minus imports, was 11.2%. Um, the um, okay, the current account deficit, exports minus imports, but minus a few kind of taking the account a few more transfers was uh, <laughs> kind of okay. But the, broadly speaking, it's just exports minus imports. The, 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 that's the, fir the key, the first order thing. So 11.2% um, of GDP in 2009. It has turned into a surplus in 2013. Small, very small one. It's projected again to be a, a deficit, but a fairly small one over the next two years. Uh, in 2014 and 2015. So, and on the, on the front of structural reforms, we should, again, there was, there was a sense that... Sorry, the, Dimitri, could I just, just for a clarification on the trade deficit? Yeah. Has the trade deficit come down simply because the two poor to import? Yes, I will actually I will show you a beautiful picture on that. Sorry. In a, in a couple of slides. Apologies. Apologies. So, um, yeah, of course. So... Yeah, yeah, and please free to ask any other clarifying questions going forward. So, so the um, so on the structural reform front, so there was a kind of criticism that the reforms are hard to happen. But okay, some of them did happen. In the World Bank uh, doing business report, Greece uh, went uh, that measures various kind of aspects of the efficiency of the countries, uh, how friendly countries is to business to investment. So Greece was uh, 109 in 2009. 
and uh, went all the way up to 61 in 2014. Still, it's not it's towards the bottom of the EU, but it's one should also judge things based on the change. The largest improve. Okay, anyway, so the, for some starting a business has become much easier. Uh, barriers to exporting have gone down to a significant extent. Now, so the, um, okay. Yeah, so not, not, so not everything was a failure. And obviously reducing the, this, this deficit from this monstrous uh, uh, amount down to zero required some austerity. You cannot just, if you cut, you have to cut. I mean, something has to go. So, um, all right, so then, okay, so there were also failures, I mean, kind of negatives. Obviously, the, the, the one that everybody's familiar with is that uh, there was a large contraction, so GDP dropped by almost 25% between 2008, that was the first year, I mean, the, the, the first year of the recession, until 2013. Actually, now this is projected to have stabilized, and there was a projected growth of almost 3% in 2015. The trade, def the, the, sorry, the unemployment has risen to, and uh, Daphne showed us the, the figures to a very large numbers. The other, let me just talk about a couple of other aspects that are less kind of discussed. So there was a sharp drop in investment. So um, investment measures measured as fixed capital formation dropped from about 25% of GDP, 23.8% of GDP, to 11.4% in 2013. And uh, is, or even though it's projected to increase, it kind of stays at very low levels. So there's very little investment happening right now in Greece. And um, as Kevin hinted, tra the trade adjustment, this kind of massive um, elimination of the trade deficit happened mainly, almost exclusively, through imports. I will show you a picture just coming. Uh, so, and on the reform side, on the structural side, there were limited reforms in the product, in product markets and in the public sector. So um, I will get a bit to that a bit later. So just to show you the, um, the picture that I had promised, so this is um, Greece, Ireland, Portugal, and Spain. So, the, um, so the, this little dot here, the blue, is um, by how much the... Um, Trade, the, the, the trade deficit had to close, how, how much adjustment was, was required. So is the, is the sum, the blue dot here is the sum of, of, uh, of, uh, of the two bars. So, you, as you, so this is imports here. So as you can see, almost all the adjustment in Greece between 2007 and 2012 was made by a reduction in imports. This is how Greece managed to, to, uh, to balance its uh, uh, trade, to reduce its trade deficit. Actually, the growth in exports was negative during that period. So it's very slightly negative. Well, as you can see, Ireland did almost all of the adjustment through an increase in exports. Spain and Portugal, mainly exports and a bit of reduction of imports. So in other words, just to make this point a bit more sharply, if Greece had managed to increase its exports more, it would not have had this massive recession that we had. The recession would have been smaller. Okay, so it's not just austerity. It's also kind of various um, kind of dysfunctionalities of the economy. It's very various kind of uh, problems with the way the economy works that made the recession to be so large. <coughs> okay, now let's talk about desired steps for forward. In my own view, so I think there are two kind of general directions that um, things should uh, kind of evolve. One is to reduce the state intervention in the economy, and I will just give some examples. Uh, and the other is to um, okay. Anyway, uh, the other is to to improve the incentives within the public sector and to make it more independent from the politicians. So, the uh, for example, regulatory burdens in, the, in product markets, such as barriers to entry and other kind of difficulties in uh, in doing business, 
are still the highest, despite the improvement that I showed you, in, uh, among all Europe, in Greece, among all European OECD member countries. This applies at the small kind of level, at the small scale. For example, the pro uh, there are barriers, for example, for, uh, uh, in the production of, let's say, in the, in the for in, um, production of, I don't know, milk, for example, or in, I don't know, the way pharmacies operate. It also applies at a large scale. There are some massive, some big oligopolies in oil, in oil refining, for example, and there are significant barriers to entry there that, uh, that so keep costs, prices and costs high. So also, even though there has been some labor market deregulation, regulatory burdens are still, in some aspects, are still high. For example, uh, collective dismissals are fairly uh, difficult. Compare, for example, to countries such as, I'm not talking about the U.S., I'm talking such as countries such as Denmark or Germany or Sweden that have a much better level of social protection than Greece. So kind of there is less uh, labor market regulation than Greece. So I can give you more examples. Let me also talk a little bit about the public sector. So where the, important, the, the emphasis there should be to improve accountability and incentives and to make it more independent from the government. Somehow this is, which is very important. So, for example, universities are micromanaged to a large extent by the education ministry. I cannot imagine that the education ministry in the UK would tell the LSE how it, would, uh, how it should design its promotion guidelines or its, uh, um, how, many people, how many professors it should hire. These, but these things are happening in Greek universities. And uh, so uh, there is political interference. There has been political interference in the statistical authority or in the tax collection authority, kind of repeated interference. So this, uh, well, there should be more of a culture of independence. Uh, performance evaluation of judges or of other civil servants lacks rigor, has been fair, kind of fairly um, straight, uh, a process that is not really effective. So the goal, actually, and here I agree with what Dionysi said at the beginning, should be to bring Greece's institutions to a level comparable to those of advanced Western European countries. This is what Greece would have as a model. Countries such as I don't know, Denmark, Sweden, the Netherlands. So, and these reforms... Okay, maybe we'll not achieve that, but uh, at least to, be, to have this as a target. This reform should be ne necessary for longer members of the Eurozone. Maybe Greece will kind of manage to, keep, to keep, hold itself in the Eurozone over the next years, but uh, uh, this will not be a sustainable solution kind of to have this, uh, uh, such a big institutional gap. One way or another, is, is we're going to run into problems. So um, let me talk a little bit about the debt. So national debt is... Uh, is obviously, it's very large, as we all know. It's 177% of GDP. So um, although something that does not, is not noticed enough in the discussion, the maturities are pretty long relative to other countries, such as Italy or Spain or uh, Portugal. And uh, obviously, it's very, it's very, and the interest payments are low. And, but it's, it's also very large, partially because Greece was not allowed to default on its private creditors in 2010. So somehow, uh, one can make the case that Greece should get debt relief. I mean, if it had it been allowed to default by the, it's your, it's, it's, um, the ACB and whatever, the European institutions in 2000, back in 2010, debt would not have been as large. So, so but there are solutions to that. I think that, uh, so for example, there is, some, there is something that, um, I think the best solution here, and this has been discussed, there has been articles about this actually even recently in The Economist and in the FT, but this has, solution has been discussed for some time, is to reduce debt burden through various ways. Uh, e.g. by extending maturities in a gradual way and condition on achieving reform milestones. This way you kill two birds with one stone, you get rid of the debt problem and you reform the economy. So this solution has, uh, okay, maybe has a bad connotation, it's called the HIPIC. It has been applied to over-indebted countries, mostly in the third world, but it's a solution that can give incentives to, that can kind of achieve good things, that can achieve both targets, uh, dealing with debt and reforms. 
And actually, the savings from reducing the debt can be used to fund the reforms themselves. For example, reforming properly the pension system or creating a modern welfare system to protect the poor or the unemployed, which, for example, creating a welfare system can help with, can, could come together with deregulating further the labor market. This could be funded with kind of by saving on this, by saving, by making some progress with the debt, reducing the debt burden. So in my view, the Greece's main problem is the lack of reforms. It's not the debt. The debt, I think, could be, can be solved one or, an, or another. So, OK, I'm almost uh, done with my comments. OK, I'm a bit more pessimistic on the, uh, on the take on the current government. So uh, I think that it has a fairly anti-market, statist, anti-market agenda. I think, it's, in my view, is in most areas, with one exception, is the exact opposite of what is needed, of what I sketched in the previous slide. So, uh, for example, at least what we don't know yet what they are going to formally announce in over the weekend, but the noise that we have, they have been making so far is that they want to increase the size of the, size of the public sector, reduce uh, kind of the extent of accountability or performance evaluation, uh, cancel the privatization program, re-regulate the labor market. There are positives, and uh, they have announced their intention to fight corruption and tax evasion, and perhaps they would be better in, than the previous government in doing this, and we wish that they, were, they, are be- that they, are, that they managed to do this better. Mike, I have, however, to, to raise two uh, concerns here. First of all, statism, just this kind of um, the big kind of uh, state intervention in the economy and the uh, kind of the, the fact the lack of independent uh, public bodies, this, creates this just creates incentives for corruption. And as economists, economists I, I do care about incentives. I think they are fundamental because uh, it prizes political connections. So any, in any system that prizes political connections, there are lots of incentives for, for, for corruption. So it's good to deal with corruption, but you also have to deal with the incentives that are. It's not just to say that we want to deal with corruption. And um, the other thing is that, yeah, anyway, so you need strong and independent agencies in this Let's hope that the government will be committed to creating, to, to kind of furthering the independence of those agencies. And to conclude, okay, so going forward, so here it will be kind of very sketchy because, um, um, and maybe leave it to the, to the discussion. Uh, uh, by the way, let me just uh, say the following just to, 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 be, to be fair. This statist agenda is not just Syriza, it's... Most of, most Greek parties kind of have this agenda. So, and uh, if I'm sure that if uh, if they had their if new democracy had its weight, it would probably not have done something very different than what is announced here. So, um, so okay. Now, okay, going forward. So, um, I think that is unlikely that official lenders will agree to relaxing or reversing the reform effort. I think that they would they could they could make concessions of the debt, but I think concessions of the debt will be um, conditional on commitment to reforms. I don't think they are willing to, they are going to forgive any debt uh, in exchange for reversing the reforms. This, this that to me, does not seem likely. So one possibility is that the, the current government does a significant U-turn, which perhaps could happen. I'm not too optimistic, but, I mean, or, I, but perhaps, perhaps could happen. The other scenario could be some escalation, and we have already kind of seen some hints of what could happen going forward. There could, um, there could be kind of a fiscal, ta- a fiscal kind of um, asphyxiation of the Greek state. So they could, you know, could, the Greek state could run out of money soon. There could be troubles in the banking system, although probably uh, we're not, this is not going to happen for maybe for some time. This might come, come first. And perhaps, I don't know, we don't know what will happen on the, on the political side. I'm not a political economist, so it's hard for me to make predictions. But there could, eventually the whole thing could boil down to a referendum on euro exit, either in the form of elections or, or, a, or a referendum. So let me stop here and thank you very much indeed.
Okay, so we now can um, start uh, the discussion. I'm going to abuse my position as chair by asking uh, one quick question to each of the three speakers. And uh, despite whatever the nature of the question, could you please just respond very briefly so we can get to the uh, audience? Vionisi, one of the points that you mentioned in your opening presentation was that you felt that the, as it were, the policy style of the European Union was changing and was risking the humiliation of uh, the Greek government. Uh, Isn't the rest of the European Union entitled to negotiate on behalf of its, its interests, just as you would wish Greece to protect its own interests? For Daphne... The question was that you mentioned about the robustness of the vote for the Golden Dawn, uh, but in the last year, since the European Parliament elections, it seems it's lost a third of its vote. We're dealing with small percentages, but something has changed. There has been a reaction uh, to what's been going on in, in the party. And uh, the Richery... Sometimes uh, I get the impression that, um, you know, I have many Greek friends who say that the problem has been that Greece has had too much neoliberalism. And uh, it seems that what uh, is discussed, what is meant often in those contexts, is that we've had massive unemployment, uh, a kind of disconnect between what a neoliberal model might actually stand for and the interpretation of high levels of unemployment, bankruptcy, uh, etc. So I just wonder, from your point of view, given the more liberal structural reforms you were advocating, whether you think the biggest barrier uh, to to this kind of agenda that you've put forward is actually the public understanding of the alternatives uh, or the denigration, as it were, the uses of the term neoliberal as being a kind of obfuscation for the actual models being discussed. So uh, I won't be asking any more questions. I'm going to bring you in in a moment. But could I simply invite my colleagues to give a very brief response uh, to those points? Shall we reverse the order or shall I start? Um, You're chatting it. You start. Okay. Uh, The answer is simple. Yes, of course. But how they do it is what really matters and how honestly it's done. In other words, if you allow an entire nation to be denigrated, and that does not only apply to the case of Greece, it applies to other countries, um, there's, a, there's a big issue. The issue is that the, the atmosphere becomes toxic. And when the stakes are high, having a toxic atmosphere does not help. So... It's one thing to be firm. It's another thing to have the national election in country X. It doesn't matter which country. And then blatantly tell them that actually it doesn't matter. Thank you. Daphne? Absolutely. I'll be brief. Um, so, yes, there has been a slight decline. So I think the answer is in, in two ways. A, EP elections are second-order elections. So the 938 
we would expect to be a sort of more blown-up result because people vote uh, with different criteria in second-order elections. From the 2012 uh, June elections, the Golden Dawn got 6.97, and now it got 6.28. So if you consider the fact that all its members are in prison, I think that is a huge result in itself. And, uh, <laughs> not the members. In, not, so, the, so not the, the members. The leading members. Uh, sorry, of the party. But uh, in addition to this, I think part of it is also a question of party competition. So Syriza, we saw in my other slide, took a lot of voters even from the Golden Dawn. So I think part of the aggregation in the hands of Syriza of the vote also meant a decline for the parties. But I, I do think that 6.28 is a very big percentage for such a Nazi party. Especially when the, uh, those, members, those members of the party that are the best at goose-stepping, as it were, are in prison. <laughs> Dimitri. Okay, so first of all, about the um, kind of what I think, what I, th I think the target should be. I don't, I don't mind how it's called neoliberalist or liberalism or whatever. Is that Greece should uh, try to seek the, the level of institutional of kind of institutions that um, countries such as I don't know, Denmark or Sweden or Germany or uh, have. I don't, I don't mind the labels there. So I think this should be at least the target. So, um, so if I think if 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 people if Greeks kind of. If, there, if in the public debate in Greece there is some analysis of what these institutions are and people actually understand how these countries actually do function, I think it will be a significant progress. Now, the, the, of course the public does perceive in, uh, capitalism in, Gre in Greece as kind of a bad thing, and I think the problem is that the, ex the experience that they, they have been having with that. So in the UK or in the US, uh, capitalism is, is uh, I mean, people are kind of reasonably okay with capitalism because they perceive that the system is reasonably fair. Uh, this perception is, de is declining, has declined, for example, with the financial crisis and uh, kind of the uh, increasing inequality. But uh, at least there is some perception that the system roughly is fair. In Greece, people who are rich are generally people who have kind of benefited from corruption in one way, or at least more of, of, of those rich people are those who have kind of somehow benefited. Uh, Done some various whatever uh, tricks, so um, so I think that uh, it, and so it's natural in some sense that people are much more than the average person is much more uh, negative towards uh, kind of a market markets because when they hear markets they, they understand corruption. So I okay. think that unless kind of a, a kind of the reforms that they describe happen with kind of proper uh, strengthening of the of the anti-corruption institutions and uh, kind of dealing with tax evasion like rigorously, I don't think it's going to work. Okay, good. I'm sure a large audience has come this evening because many of you would wish to ask questions or make contributions. Uh, I'm going to uh, suggest that we take three or four questions at a time, uh, please. And so we'll have uh, repeated rounds, uh, and I'll invite the panel to respond to any particular point they, they wish. Please, can you identify who you are briefly? We don't want this full CV uh, this evening. Uh, just identify who you are. And make sure that it's, uh, it's brief, please, because I'm sure many people would wish to come in. And there's a microphone. We'll take the gentleman here at the front, please. Thank you. Uh, hello, good evening. My name is Trifonas, and regularly I'm coming to LSE to attend all these interesting you know, lectures. I have one question for Dionysis about the appointment of Mr. Gojias. Uh, if I remember well, this was the guy that was expressing openly the opinion of Moscow in 98 is against the uprising of the, um, uh, of the opposition in Poland. And this guy managed to get, you know, the Ministry of Foreign Matters. So I like your opinion about it. And uh, do I have another question? No, no, no it's all right. One at a time. 
I think that's good enough. Uh, could you pass it to the gentleman here, please? Yes, hi. Good evening. My name is Carl Liederman, and I also had a question for Professor Dimitrokopoulos. Uh, my question is this, is that you placed a lot of blame on Chancellor Merkel. And for me, I'm 50 years old. I'm German-Jewish. My wife is Greek. I've seen a lot in 50 years. I've been shocked by the rhetoric by the Greek government, particularly by Varoufakis, and it's become very toxic and very personal. They've equated Merkel as a Nazi, German reparations, the threat of the blocking sanctions. Um, it's, it's, and even the dress, yeah, the whole demeanor, the, the verging on arrogance and disrespect for basic codes of, of negotiations and diplomacy have been thrown out the window. How do you agree with that approach, that it has escalated to a point where, in a way, the Germans have no possibility but to basically say stop because it's unacceptable? Um, or do you think that um, you would still place the blame on Frau Merkel? Okay. And the gentleman here, please. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Yanis Manuelidis. Uh, I equally have a question, I think, for uh, Mr. Mitrakopoulos and to some extent for uh, Ms. Helkirkoulou. Uh, it's basically, I didn't hear much of a comment about Anel. Uh, and I have no doubt that when you have a party of the black shirts, the brown shirts are not very much in the picture. But to echo what the gentleman was saying before, to me, a party that comes out and makes statements about how Greek Jews do not pay, enough, uh, pay, pay less taxes than the Christians and then find themselves in government is more than shocking. And so I, none of you made any comments about that. It actually shocks me. Uh, and I wanted to hear your, your comments about that. Okay, we'll just pause and uh, invite our panelists to uh, respond. Uh, Dionysi, do you want to start? Okay. Uh, just very briefly, please. I, I'll start from the easiest one, which is about Kodziasi, Polonia, Kiemis, the book that came out in 1981, just as the Jaruzelski junta was crashing uh, the trade union movement. That's exactly the kind of evidence which I had in mind when I said that, okay, I'm told he's very bright, he's very well, well read, but this is, you know, some, some things stay. Uh, uh, that's the reason why... We, we should just uh, explain uh, to everyone we're talking about the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Yes, uh, and um, that's exactly the reason why I'm sceptical about his appointment. Uh, I'm not here to talk about Varoufakis' dress code. It's not my business, basically. But uh, I think there are uh, people who, like uh, the late uh, professor of sociology here at the LSE who spoke of Merkelism, um, Ulrich Beck, uh, who has been uh, criticizing Mrs. Merkel for doing too little too late uh, and still managed to portray herself as a, as a savior. Uh, there is toxic language, as far as I uh, read uh, the Greek press, not from Varoufakis. Uh, I don't think he said anything about Nazi Germany or anything like that. Others have done so, including amongst a series of people. Uh, but uh, my point in my presentation is that populism exists in both countries. And I, would want, I wonder how many German citizens know that uh, four-fifths of the bailout funds that came to Greece have actually gone to French and German banks, because otherwise these banks would have collapsed. Um, I criticized the toxic language irrespective of where it came from. 
Uh, I think it's important to note also the statements made by Helmut Schmidt in various interviews with Die Zeit, for example, some of which are still uh, uh, online, where he said, when you have the biggest and strongest economy in your neighborhood, this is what uh, Europe is, you have a duty to help. It's not, uh, it's not a matter with, uh, with uh, conditions, of course. Final question about uh, Anel. It's a nationalist populist party. Uh, it's very sad that uh, they are in power, uh, but this is the way in which um, the Greek people have voted. Uh, the, the arithmetic was, is what it is. And Pardon? Yeah, absolutely, 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 absolutely. Well, well, Tsipras made a choice. I hope he and the country will not regret it. But um, uh, it's a, another uh, piece of evidence which Can indicates. I just, are you hesitating to condemn the choice? Not at all. No, no, no. All I'm saying is it's a realistic choice. Okay. Uh, um, so, uh, not at all. I'm not. Uh, so, why is it a realistic choice then? I don't understand. Uh, because I think that uh, one of the points that. Uh, Daphne made was very good in the sense that she highlighted... No, I think all of the points Daphne made were very good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm building up to the, Sorry, the yeah. point. The point being that uh, the focus of the government is against austerity and in that sense uh, they are uh, a better suit for the main uh, ruling party than Potami, which was the other alternative. Okay. Daphne, thanks. Yeah, can I just add to that? Um, I, I agree with you 100%. I think it is shocking. And part of what I was saying in my presentation is if you really add the Golden Dawn vote with the Anel vote and with some of the very right-wing nationalist vote for new democracy, you get a very large percentage of people who uh, aspire to, or, you know, who adopt these ideas. And, I, you know, on the one hand, I agree it is, it is, it is, a, it is a big problem and it, it is mainstream in Greece. This, I mean, the inclusion of Rahil Makri in uh, Syriza's ballot papers, right, is another example of this, of, you know, going beyond the left-right divide. Now, I, I agree on a normative perspective, it is very sad, but on an analytical perspective, it, it shows problems for the nature of Greek democracy and the nature of the functioning of its institutions. You want to come back with yeah, one time. minor addition to what uh, Daphne said. Uh, the fact that Anel made it in Parliament, the fact that the Golden Dawn kept most of, it, most of its votes, indicate that uh, Samara's rhetorical strategy in the run-up to the elections has failed completely. Completely. Okay. So. Dimitri, any points? Uh, no. I, I okay, great. <laughs> um, that's the way we like it. Uh, we'll start at the back and uh, the lady at the back, please. Thank you. My name is Dimitra. I'm studying here in LLC Masters Accounting and Finance. And I wanted to ask Mr. Vallenos, what is your opinion about Mr.'s, Mr. Varifaki's new plans about the swap of the current bonds to bonds with what we are, which are tied with percentage of growth? And what do you think about the opinion of today? Mr. Soible said uh, that we agree, we don't agree anywhere. Okay. And... Uh, Colleague in the middle here, please. Thanks, Dimitri. Yeah, hi. Kondo Yanis from King's College. I have brief questions for all the three panelists. The first one is from... Um, can you choose your best? <laughs> okay. For Mr. Dimitrakopoulos, then. You spoke about populism and the danger that perhaps the inclusion of the independent Greeks to the new government may pose. I want to ask the following. We saw in the electoral campaign, I mean, before the 25th of, uh, of January, uh, first of all, the Minister of Health, Marcus Boridis, who is 
who used to be like the president of the youth party of our imprisoned, um, Lieutenant Papadopoulos, advocating that the government of Samaras will not give power, will not accept even, let's say, the electoral results uh, if the left comes first. And at a symbolic level, this was enacted by our Prime Minister, the ex-Prime Minister, Samaras, by not giving the keys to the Maximum Mansion to the new government. That's my first comment, and I hope it addresses some of the concerns in the front. And my question is the following. We saw the last three years that there was some kind of under-the-table negotiations or give and take between New Democracy and Golden Dawn. Baltakos, the general secretary of the previous government, was actually leaking evidence of the investigation against the Golden Dawn to uh, Golden Dawn MPs, and we saw that many key advisors of Samaras' cabinet were giving also evidence, I can only tell, and I want your opinion on that, regarding the influence of Golden Dawn within state institutions and the responsibility of New Democracy for that, that Mr. Kuzilos, who was the head of the anti-terrorist department of our National Secret Service, was sacked after the investigation started for Golden Dawn because, and he was a personal choice of Mr. Samaras, right, a personal choice because they were evidence that he was leaking information to Golden Dawn regarding potential revelations okay. for his activities. Thank you. Okay, good, thanks. Um, and can we... Oh, thank you. Right to the very front, please. Lorke Tunalı, Visiting Fellow at Research on Southeastern Europe. Uh, my question is for Professor Dimitri. Uh, during your presentation, you mentioned the huge trade deficit that Greece experienced. And um, my question is, if Greece had not used euro, and if Greece had used its own, cur uh, own currency, uh, would have it solved its trade deficit problem more easily, and would exiting eurozone help to solve the trade deficit problem now? Okay. Thank you. Good, thank you. Let's take one more uh, question. Could we take the going away? I have a question. For, uh, my name is Yanis. I've got a question for Professor Vajanos. Um, you implied that a good outcome would be for Syriza to enact a sort of U-turn on its democratic mandate to sort of re-regulate the labour service and to reverse austerity. I mentioned the possibilities. I said these are the possibilities. I didn't say which one was the best. I think you implied that it was a potentially good outcome. Potentially. Maybe I've misunderstood that. All right, OK. Um, I mean, could you provide further evidence, sort of hard evidence, that what Greece needs is more privatisation? Because I was struck by the list of negatives. So the list on the... Um, sort of the successes of the bailout, which all seem to be surrogate markers. Um, seem to be what? The list of the successes yeah, seem to of be the bailout all seem to be surrogate markers, whereas the list of the negatives of the bailout seem to be almost primary endpoints of actual sort of an indication of what society is doing. I don't, I don't understand sorry. what surrogate markers mean, but anyway, sorry, you Kevin will translate it. <laughs> surrogate markers are sort of... Oh, it's difficult to explain... So we don't use surrogate markers and endpoints in economics? That's quite interesting. Well, maybe, we, maybe we use them in a different language. I think that's maybe something we need to read up on. I'm sorry, I'm, I can't help with uh, surrogate markers. <laughs> so basically, surrogate markers, they're numbers. They're simply numbers. They may reflect the reality, but they may not. The reality is a primary endpoint. In medicine, is whether or not the patient lives when you give him medicine or not, regardless of how well that medicine is going to work in theory, regardless of what happens to the blood test. 
So their primary endpoints of what we're looking at over the reforms of the last few years have been negative, entirely negative. So the indicators indicators may be misleading from the uh, particular destination. Okay. Um, Daphne, do you want to pick up on any points which have been made? Um, No, I didn't. um, On the populism? um, On the the populism. I I think your question was about the golden dawn. I think, I mean, I think that's the point. Populism is... And the state, golden dawn and the state. Right, that was the, the relationship between... Sorry, I was lost because that wasn't my question. But, um, so the, but, but that's the point. I think what's interesting is if you see... Because you mentioned the New Democracy's um, electoral <coughs> campaign. Um, what happened was New Democracy tried to maintain golden dawn voters, essentially, or its right-wing voters, by making... What about all these negative comments about immigration when the Charlie Hebdo um, situation happened, etc.? But that is... Th- that links part, partly to my, you know, to my middle-class idea. They tried to... Uh, Shift to the right in order to capture voters, and it's sure half of new, you know, a lot of new democracy members are former um, Laos members, etc. So I think um, I think it's I think it's very true. Did you miss it? Yeah, I'm, I'm not well informed to speak about the relationship between Golden Dawn and specific segments of the formal apparatus of the state. What is a fact, and I'm dealing only with specific fact, is that both in 2012 and uh, this year, there's evidence which indicates that uh, large segments of the police in Athens vote overwhelmingly, in other words, in higher proportions for Golden Dawn than uh, ordinary voters in Greece. And that is scary. That is terrifying, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I mean, this is in the public domain. What can I say about this? It's clear that uh, Baldakos had his views and he was operating. It's, it's well known. What, what can a political scientist say about this? Uh, there is Well, I think the facts are the comment as well. Uh, when you have the, basically the, the most senior official working with the prime minister effectively in cahoots with uh, a, a fascist party, what can I add to that? I mean, this <laughs> apparently there's a political logic behind it. Dimitri. All right, so <clears throat> there were a number of questions for me, so I have to let me make sure that I don't forget anything. Yeah. So about um, GDP bonds, let me just uh, deal with that one first. So, um, first of all, it's kind of this, the, the plan of uh, Varoufakis seems to be changing uh, by the day. So, originally, there was this kind of uh, haircut, and this was the original official position. Then it became no haircut but GDP bonds. So, uh, so assuming that this is the plan, the um, I think there is some merit in GDP bonds. So, there, I mean, there is. So, uh, first of all, let me also remind you that GDP bonds were to some extent included in the PSI. So some, some, some part of the PSI involves some, some of this exchange in the PSI includes some elements, some bots with the GDP indexing. Now, basing the whole debt, the entire, the entire debt or whatever, a large fraction of the debt on GDP, kind of, okay, let's say, let's say at least it raises two issues that need careful thinking. The first issue is that you need to really trust the GDP numbers. So in, remember in Greece, we had had the, the head of the statistical authority had been into a kind of, extent, a kind of a drawn out lawsuit because of this accusation that he touched the numbers and Greece uh, entered into the memorandum because he exacerbated the, the deficit. Imagine what would happen if he announced that GDP is higher than uh, whatever. <laughs> it's, I don't know, 1% higher and Greece has to pay more money. He would face other, other lawsuits. So it has to be, one has to kind of deal with that problem. The other issue is that, um, okay, in some sense you make the 
debt holders, you, the other countries, you make them equity holders in Greece. So then, you know, they would, their repayment will, will depend on, on Greece's growth, so, if, so they will probably have to have even more, I mean, you, they would want to have even more say on, uh, to make, on, on kind of measures that Greece would undertake to, uh, to, to improve its growth. So one has to think at least about this, these two issues to, to make a big chunk of the debt GDP based. But, okay, certainly, it has certainly ha- does, it does have advantages. So the, about Euro exit, you asked me about Euro exit. So um, I have been uh, against Euro exit in stuff that I have written in the past. So <clears throat> I think that, uh, I mean, Argentina is one example. So we saw a kind of very significant contra- de- de- um, decline in GDP for the, at the beginning, in the early years. So eventually Argentina took off because its exports market kind of increased significantly. So um, it's, it's not clear to what extent this would, this would happen in Greece. What I'm more concerned, and I admit that this is not kind of very scientific, but I think that this, it, it is an issue, is that um, this would promote kind of inwardness and closet, closet, closetness of Greece. And the kind of which you know could uh, exa- kind of increase the pathologies of the Greek economy. For example, uh, in Argentina, for example, the extent of corruption increased after Argentina de- adopted its own currency. So uh, I think that you, the euro is partially an economic issue. An economic thing is partially a political thing, and I think it's good that Greece should kind of remain tied to, uh, to to Europe. And I think on this, problem, most Greek voters agree. Now uh, about uh, surrogate market numbers, surrogate markers. So, um, um, okay, look, I mean, I think that, uh, I th- okay, let's agree on the, that, on, on the target I said earlier, that Greece's institutions should converge to those of countries such as Denmark and Sweden. I don't m- call it it's a left-wing policy or a right-wing policy. It's just a matter, I mean, Greece kind of should try to catch up, in my view, with the, the institutional quality of those countries. So, um, now, if, and, uh, okay, um, for some privatizations, it's true that one can complain with the can, and, uh, with the, the the way some privatizations were conducted, and I'm not I I'm also kind of unhappy with some of this of the way privatizations were conducted. However, privatizations state ownership in uh, in uh, Greece is the highest among uh, I think most or all of OECD countries. So I think certainly there has to be more state has to go out. To a, to, to a larger extent out of the production process. State is not, should not be doing, uh, should, not, should, not be invo- so, should not have such a big role in production. So at least if we, just on the measure of comparing Greece, on the metric of comparing Greece to kind of its European peers. So, um, uh, well, okay, but I mean, what you said about the advance of the, the disadvantage of the bailout, okay, this, I, I think this is a big discussion. I mean, I, I just don't see, have, I have not seen uh, everybody who criticizes the bailout one has to see an alternative, and I have not kind of seen a clear alternative. I mean, if, you, if Greece had a budget deficit, it has to close it. I mean, certainly things could have been done better, and we can have a conversation about that, uh, but you know, some austerity was unavoidable, just because you had to close the deficit. I mean, this is... Okay, good. Daphne, you wanted to come back very briefly. I wanted to ask a question. If that's oh. Okay. Is that, <laughs> yes, okay. Is that, is that okay? Um, since I have the economist here for me, just to clarify something, we've seen Varoufakis, he was here in, in London, he met with the Chancellor, and he also met with private investors, and that sort of confused me, and he came out of that and he said, you know, on the one hand, they said, he came and he said, my, my left-wing heart, and then he talks about, um, you, you know, um, the big public sector and a, a lot of state, 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 but then he met with the private investors and started discussing growth and I wonder how that, is that something consistent? Is this a somersault or is this 
is this financially consistent or, or, or is it just everywhere? Well, no, I, it's, hard, it's a bit hard for me to follow Varoufakis' kind of thinking. So, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I don't want to... I mean, I, I give him credit for kind of having articulated the case that Greece needs some debt reduction, so I think that he deserves credit for that. But yeah, kind of the re- all the rest of the stuff that he says is a bit... Consistent. Kind of varies quite a lot over time, so it's hard to kind of... I, okay. I, I will not be the one who argues the consistency of his... <laughs> let me leave someone else to argue that. Okay, okay. so there is lack of clarity here, because I could To me, okay. in my head. Let's remember this audience. Um, the, I'm sorry, the guy in the green at the back, please, then we're going to come forward. Hello, I am Kostas. I'm a research associate at Imperial College London, but I work in transportation engineering, so it's not exactly economics. Um, I've noticed that you've all mentioned uh, austerity in Greece and the impacts uh, it had. However, um, I was wondering whether the rate at which it has been applied to Greece has also played a, a, an important role. And I was therefore wondering whether there is any science, uh, any way to find out how quickly a country can move from being a centralized country to a country that is actually a free market like uh, Switzerland or the other countries that we've mentioned. So is there any science behind how quickly a country can move from the one state to the other, considering that there are side effects like uh, the neo-Nazi parties and all that? Thank you. Okay, thanks. And then could we take uh, Elias here, please? Uh, If you just wait for the microphone, because everyone else has got to hear you. Uh, I'm Elias Denenes. I'm a visiting professor at the Hellenic Observatory. Um, I would like to ask Dionysus first a a, a simple question. He mentioned that uh, Syriza is against austerity, but they have promised to run primary balances. I think this is a contradiction in terms of any... um, any interpretation, so I would like to, uh, to see how Syriza is going to do that. I would also uh, like to ask a question um, uh, to Dimitri. Uh, I think you very brutally, in many ways, explained the two possibilities that are on the table. There are no other options. These are the two possibilities. Uh, I was intrigued by the assignment of probabilities to the two events. Uh, unlikely means a very low probability, say 2%, 3%, 5%. So that means that the... No, I don't, I don't, maybe not as low. Okay, maybe 15%. So we have an 85% probability for either a fiscal asphyxiation or for a run on the banks. Okay. Just leave it there. Thank you. Let, let, okay, I will, answer, I will tell you what I think. I'm not, it's very hard. Anyway, I will tell you what I think. Okay, sure. good. We were hoping you would. Um, can we take uh, a friend here, please? Yeah. Uh, hi, uh, Nikita from Cambridge. Um, in, in the 2012 elections, there was fear of economic or financial contagion. Now people are talking about political contagion, and by that we mean that basically the outcome of the um, the negotiations underway would have an impact both on the elections of some of the other eurozone members, like Spain and Ireland. And it would also have an impact on the behavior of existing incumbent governments in terms of the, the fiscal behavior. So I guess I would like the, the political scientists to comment on the potential impact on, on, on those elections. And I would like to ask Professor Vaganos to comment on this moral hazard argument, right? So how, how strong is that argument in terms of um, affecting sort of the, no, no, the behavior of some of the other governments. I mean, do you actually buy into it, given that in light of the fiscal compact and everything else that all you mean the whether other countries are are, want to give Greece a, will agree to kind of give, give Greece a break? I mean, to, yeah. yeah. 
These are the questions. Okay, sure. Okay, other questions? Oh, let's go to the very back. Here, please. Yep. Yes, hello. Mark Browers. I'm an owner of a shipping company in New York City. Um, question for Dimitri. Um, I, as I understand it, 50% of uh, the income tax is not collected in Greece, which is completely absurd. And I understand a lot of it's coming from self-employed lawyers, accountants, doctors, etc., who are putting their money into Switzerland, etc. I even have a friend um, who does exactly that. He's an accountant, and he keeps all his money in England and only brings it into Greece when he needs it. Um, so the would you be able to put in, like they have in the United States, a tax on worldwide income, which I think is essential for Greece in order to collect all these taxes? would help solve your problem. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks. Um, perhaps uh, the last question, then, uh, the gentleman here. Hello, my name is Anthony. I'm a law graduate from UCL. My question, briefly, a comment from all the three of you. Like, you tried to explain the, the outcome of the elections. What would be like the idea or a good solution from these elections? Because you talked about the far left and the far right and the coalition. But for you, what would be the most positive in terms of not just the negotiation but also socially wise, what would be the ideal outcome for you out of these elections? Thank you. Thank you. A nice, easy question to uh, finish on. Uh, okay. Uh, so, shall we go in the reverse order? Dimitri, do you want to start? Okay. So, okay, I'm not an expert. Who asked me about the transition? How fast transition can occur? Yeah. Okay, so I'm not an expert on transition economies. I know that, um, I mean, one example is the, is, the, is the former communist economies, like, for example, Poland, um, Hungary, etc. So some, some, some of these economies made the transition very fast, and they were obviously formerly communist, while they're very different than what Greece is now. For example, Poland has you know, transited fairly successfully to a well, reasonably well-functioning market economy. It didn't take too many years. So, but uh, you know, maybe someone else knows better than me on this. On this, maybe I will let you guys. Maybe anyway. So, so there are examples of kind of bigger, even bigger transitions having taken place successfully. So, now the likelihood of a confrontation. Yeah. So the likelihood of a confrontation. Okay. Uh, so I don't. You know. Again, I'm not. This goes a bit beyond my uh, kind of. Um, expertise as an economist. I mean, certainly they would, they, there are gains from, from, from reaching an agreement here, both for, for Greece, obviously, and from, for, its, uh, um, kind of for, the other, for its lenders. So, because the, the, the if failure to reach an agreement, could, mainly Greece would suffer, but even they would, the official lenders would suffer too. So, um, uh, you know, I think that, um, I don't know, I would not be too worried about the bank run happening anytime soon. But, uh, you know, might be, anyway. But certainly, you know, it could be possible that uh, kind of there is some pressure on the, on the, on the state, on the kind of, uh, for example, like the SDCB recently announced that it would not allow Greek banks to go past the limit of uh, whatever, how many T-bills they can, how, many, how, many, how much they can lend to the Greek government. So, you know, the way this is going, we might get there. Or, so, or maybe a last minute kind of fudge will be, will be agreed, but that's not an event that I described. And uh, to just prolong this thing for a few more months. Mm. So um, I don't think that the escalation scenario was, uh, has 80 percent probability. No, I think it has smaller probability. So the, um, uh, Nikita, you asked me about whether other countries would give Greece a break. Uh, kind of again, going a bit beyond my 
expertise. I think that uh, um, Sp- countries such as Spain, uh, Italy, Portugal, uh, Ireland, I, I would be very surprised if they, will, if they are willing to give Greece a break. So um, Spain, Spain, for reasons that we all know, I mean that the, uh, if they see if the series are kind of getting its way just because it's kind of very aggressive, the conservative government of Spain will have a very hard time in the upcoming elections by Podemos. But even countries such as Portugal and Ireland that kind of comply to the conditions that they, they were, the bailout conditions they were given, the kind of they will, their governments would look like uh, not very well kind of if Greece kind of gets its way. So uh, even, even in Italy, I think that uh, Renzi has kind of kind of some left-wing uh, people in his own party who are kind of challenging him. And so certainly if Syriza gets its, its way, kind of is likely to face bigger challenges. So I think somehow that's my reading. I might be wrong. My, re- my reading is that, is that um, kind of Greece is kind of, if Greece kind of go, goes with this agenda that we, we don't want to accept what has been happening so far and uh, kind of we want to also, also, in addition to that debt forgiveness, I think it's going to be very difficult. So that's my reading. And finally, um, the question, okay about, okay, about tax evasion. Let me just, okay, so on worldwide income. Well, okay, you know, I think the first step, one should do, should do first steps first. Greece would establish a, a proper independent tax collection authority. So the, this was a, this has, the IMF had pressured Greece to do this since 2010. It happened, I think, in 2012, that to get this thing out of the Ministry of Finance, to give it proper independence and accountability. There was the Samaras government kind of interfered into this, uh, uh, into this, into the functioning of that agency. So uh, I think, you know, if Syriza wants to, to, you know, make some progress on this, I think this would be very good. So, but I think this is this would be the first step. Even and the other, another possibly reforming the tax code, which needs some thinking, but certainly would uh, would deal with uh, some of the problems, is to rely more on v, on VAT taxation. Again, there are limits to that, but certainly your tax consumption. So if some people consume, if some people, I don't know, earn their money and uh, send it uh, uh, and hide it, but eventually they have to consume something in Greece. So you, you, at least you can catch them from VAT. So th- anyway, that's one possibility. Okay. Daphne? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll reply to Nikitas about the, the comparative aspect in other countries, and I think that sort of fits into the question how fast. I, I don't know how fast in terms of economics, but I think the answer to both of you is institutional capacity. And I think that's the problem. So you know the the data I showed about good governance? This is what Greece, where Greece differs from Portugal and Ireland and Spain in that, and and they do differ fundamentally in in, in the belief and the actual state capacity, the extent to which the the, the government has been able to to, to manage the problem. And we see significant variation. So so in Portugal, um, there's no far right, so the Partido Nacional Renovador is very marginal, despite um, the the crisis. But also the far left BE is very marginal. Now they've, they've come out and they say we want to emulate uh, but the very, the, they were marginalised during the EP elections, which was the latest result. In Ireland, too, you've got no far right. You've got Sinn Féin as a left-wing party. But Sinn Féin, the dynamics there with the sort of nationalist ethnic cleavage are very different. So, again, different dynamics. And in Spain, you see Podemos, which is the far left, but it's the only one, again, you don't see far right and, uh, at all. So you've got very different dynamics pulling you on the right of the left, but I, I think what we're witnessing in Greece differs I- I- in a big way from, from the other countries, and that is precisely the institutional capacity and the, the, the ability of the state to manage the huge crisis. Thank you. Dionysi? Okay, uh, just to amplify the last point in relation to parties, national trajectories explain differences between uh, um, 
countries in terms of responses, as uh, Daphne said. Uh, again, on the basis of these examples, Ireland is a very good example. Uh, which which party is a, a really um, mainstream left-wing party in Ireland? So, as an example, the uh, the question about balancing the books. Well, now we can hold them to account because they have power, which they haven't had in the past. And for me, the real test is not whether they will set the objective. Anybody can declare to be in favor of uh, balanced budgets. The, the important point is to see whether they have an actual plan and whether they will announce it in the next few days. So as far as I'm concerned, I agree with the, with the objective, but whether they will manage to do it and whether they have a concrete set of steps they will take to achieve it remains to be seen. Um, uh, two final points. One, uh, a clarification on what I said earlier about Kodzias, the current uh, foreign minister, when he wrote uh, uh, this 95-page uh, defense of the Jaruzelski regime. The point that I'm making is that, uh, irrespective of what people write when they are 30 or 31, the fact of the matter is that this is one of the key ministers who will try to build alliances in the Council of Ministers at the level of the European Union when about one-third of the members of the European Union are former communist countries run by non-communists. So that's not going to be easy. Um, and uh, plus the perception, of course. Uh, the final point, well, what would be the ideal outcome? I think, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I'm not here to vote. <laughs> um, as far as I'm concerned, there are two points that are important. First of all, the commitment to the euro, which is an enduring theme in the elections of uh, 2012, May and June and uh, 2014. Uh, but also the fact that uh, a lot of people, including many Greeks, are not happy with the way in which uh, the, uh, the, the single currency is run. And um, again, whether this is something that will be listened to or not, and whether there are feasible alternative proposals remain, remain to be seen. But this is the kind of uh, challenge that is of, of systemic level, which is healthy in democracies. And I think we should have the debate as opposed to uh, saying, well, this is out of, out of the question. Okay, good, thank you. Just before uh, bringing matters to a halt, can I um, do an advertisement for some upcoming events with the LSE Hellenic Observatory? Uh, the week after next, on Tuesday the 17th of February, we will have a seminar discussion about how to study the crisis from an anthropological uh, perspective. And the, Dimitris Theodosopoulos will uh, make that presentation at uh, 6 o'clock on the Tuesday the 17th. On the 6th of March, we have a one-day conference on Cyprus and its recovery plan. And on the 25th of March... 25th of March. Uh, we have an annual lecture uh, by Yanis Tounaras who will be coming to give a talk about uh, Greece's economic prospects. And uh, I will make no um, comments about uh, the implication of that title. Uh, can I, uh, on your behalf, though, bring matters to a, a conclusion by thanking our panellists very much indeed.